0: Good to have you all here tonight. Would you uh, please turn to Jonah chapter one? Jonah chapter one. I'm always very tempted to uh, to show the Veggie Tales Jonah movie, uh, make it easier on me. And then you guys can just say, "Wow, we saw the whole movie, and now we've gone through the whole book." But that's uh, not really going to be too helpful uh, to understand the the depth of what this particular prophet uh prophet's life story is about uh i think last time i mentioned that uh this is uh not so much the prophecy of jonah as it is the story of the prophet jonah and his struggle with god and uh so i think it's it's only good to say that if we find a prophet that's struggling with god uh That doesn't mean that we should go ahead and do that (laughs) and say, well, if he could struggle with God, I can struggle with him too. The best thing is not to struggle with God because it comes down to this. God's will is so much better than ours. Amen. What he has planned for us from the very beginning is for us to enjoy the will of God. In fact, some great confession of faith has has said that, that our whole purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, that sounds good. And that is to enjoy Him in the midst of all of the pain and suffering that we go through in this life. Because we knew going into this Christian life of ours... But it wouldn't be easy. Even Jesus himself said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And he said that before he went to the cross. To assure us that what he knows from the beginning to the end and the end to the beginning is a sure thing. It is a sure thing of what Jesus Christ did for us that we might have that opportunity then to appreciate God's will in our life, whatever that will is. And for each and every one of us in this room, it's different. And yet, because it comes from our one true and living God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every will he has for us is a perfect one for us. It's the right one for us. And it doesn't contradict anything that he's doing in anybody else's life. Which is an amazing thing too when you consider the sovereignty of God. And the providence of God. The wonders of God. Great thing, isn't it? So we know that uh, as we got into this, into this life of Jonah, as he was called by God, there, there's, there's no drama really going from the moment of his call to his running away from God. It's, I mean, as soon as he got the call to go to Nineveh and to preach to the Ninevites, his sworn enemy... He says I'm not going to do it and he went the other direction found a ship going in the totally opposite direction to Tarshish and then the drama began the real dramatic struggle when God calls you and he's not going to use anybody else to do what he's called you to do he's going to pursue you And do whatever he has to do to get your attention. Jonah thought, well, you know, if I hide or if I go someplace else, he'll just get someone else. Don't count on that. Don't bank on that. If he's called you, he wants to use you. You're his vessel. You're his instrument. And by the way, if we've come to the Lord, we've surrendered ourselves to Him. And obviously, because we realized that Jonah had been used as a prophet already by God, that he had given his life to God. But now, this was personal he hated the Ninevites. Maybe for the same reason that God hated the, the things that they did. But he couldn't let go of that hatred. Are we like that sometimes? Well, just think about that. And the other thing to think about is that when we do things... That are opposite of what God wants us to do. He starts shaking. He starts shaking everything. He started shaking the seas. To shake the boat. And in shaking the boat, he was doing his best to wake up Jonah, who had gone into the boat, to go to sleep. He wanted to be as far away from God as possible, but you can't. You can't run from him. Because as I said last time, the more you run from him, the more you run into him. He shook the boat. But Jonah's sins was affecting the lives of the sailors and the lives of of the passengers of this particular ship. To the extent that now, the only way to save themselves was to throw all of their cargo overboard. And then for them to run down to where Jonah was and say, hey, wake up, sleepyhead. What are you doing? They began to realize he was the central figure in what was going on with the weather and with the sea. And he told them, I'm the reason for all of this. And that's when we pick up in verse 11, tonight. For then, say the, then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? And don't forget now they, they cast lots. And God let the lot fall upon Jonah so that it was very clear. And if they had cast lots time and time again, you know, to see, to make sure every time the lot would fall, it fell on Jonah. That was what God was doing. So they knew it was him. Now they ask him the question, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be common to you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. God is after me. (laughs) Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So as we've already pointed out in our previous study, the prophet Jonah made a tragic decision. He made a tragic decision and that was that he rejected God's call and commission. He rejected the call of God and he rejected the commission that was given to him. He deliberately disobeyed the Lord and actually, as we already know, ran away from him. So now you might be thinking, what was wrong with him? What was wrong with Jonah? What was wrong with this prophet who had already served the Lord? And as best as we can tell, served the Lord honorably and obediently. What was wrong with him? Didn't he know he'd be facing some serious consequences? I mean, we'd all like to ask that question, I think. And what we oftentimes fail to remember is that we'd have those same questions posed about us as well. A quick and simple examination of our own hearts would reveal a similar attitude. Now, without shaking your head this way or that way, Just ask yourself, has there ever been a time when God has actually spoken to me and I went the other way? Now, if you're welling up with pride inside as if to say, well, that never has happened to me. I've always obeyed the Lord. That's why I told you not to shake your head because only God knows your heart. And what he knows about your heart is that if that's the attitude you have, he's going to come and knock on your door tonight the door of your heart. Really? No, we all have to admit. We've all at some time struggled with some calling or some word or some commission of God. It could be as minor as, not so much a minor thing, but it could be as minor in the sense of of, of scope that the Lord has put on your heart to talk to somebody you see sitting there and and just to tell them about Jesus or just to talk with them. And you (laughs) you lean in that direction, but then you say, "Mm, I'm not really sure that's the Lord. Right? Has it not happened? I think it's happened to all of us. Obviously being in open rebellion against the Lord is not healthy to us spiritually. Because I'll tell you this, there's a lot of conviction when that happens, isn't there? And you may not share that conviction with a lot of people, but you've got it inside of you. You know, you know the Lord had called and you didn't do something. So it's not always healthy. Nor would it be at times to our physical well-being either. But how often do we realize that we not only take ourselves down, but possibly many others in our disobedience and rebellion. That's what Jonah was doing. He was taking down a whole lot of people with him. And don't forget this. He was supposed to be a witness to them of the God of Israel. He was supposed to be a witness and a testimony of the power of God. And it was God himself who was showing himself strong to those pagans who had been praying to other gods But their gods were doing nothing. And then they find out that Jonah's God is after him. And so he's the one that's causing the waves of the sea and and, and the the boat rocking and everything else going in all sorts of directions. But again, what what it describes here is that when we are in open rebellion to God, we are taking a lot of people with us. Jonah nearly did take them all down. And again, it destroyed Jonah's prayer life. It destroyed his testimony. and destroyed his witness. It didn't take long for his fellow travelers and ship's crew to realize who the guilty party was and to get a a good picture of what would transpire. Let's go back one verse and begin reading in verse 10. Go back just just for a second to verse 10. Then were the men exceeding Exceedingly afraid, which literally means they they feared with a great fear. They feared with great fear. I mean, they, they were really afraid. Now these were tough fish. These these were tough sailors. These were mariners. They 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 lived on the sea. They'd probably been through a lot of storms before. They probably had experienced tempests before, and they knew how to handle it. not like this. They knew it was supernatural. They knew it was something more than the weather changing. You could, always, you could almost picture the fact that when they started out, there was not a cloud in the sky. There was not a breeze in the air. And before you know it, everything turned dark. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. That's not, the really, that's not really the best way to witness you know, for, for the Lord. You know. I'm in sin. I'm in rebellion. That's why you see what's happening. And then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee? That the sea may be calm unto us, for the sea wrought. In other words, it was working, Then it was walking, it was talking, it was doing all kinds of stuff. And was tempestuous. Which is a very powerful word in, 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 in giving us a picture of how, how strong the storm itself was. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea." In other words, just come and get me and throw me over, throw me overboard. So shall the sea be common to you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Now, you might think that the only honest thing that Jonah could have said to the captain of the ship was this. He could have said, listen, take me back to Joppa or better yet, drop me off at Antioch, which is on the way to Nineveh. But, but take me back. That would be the best thing, the honest thing, the right thing to do. Why? Because he got called to go to Nineveh. And that ship was in no way going to even be close. It was headed in the opposite direction. Now if he had said that, that would have to some extent indicated his repentance. And the storm would have stopped immediately. And that would would have become the testimony of Jonah's God, the God of Israel. And they could have used that very storm to say, listen, that was my God who controls the seas, controls the wind, who controls the weather, who controls all things. Your gods do not. What a witness that would have been. But for a while longer, he let the sailor struggle vainly against the God-driven and directed storm. And what these pagans knew enough to understand was that a person must never run, run away from his God, especially one who shows his great power over his own creation. Why, why, why hast thou done this? That emphasis, the questions that were asked of Jonah. Why hast thou done this? What shall we do unto thee that the sea may may be calm unto us? You know the prophet's answer revealed his determination and his resolve to die rather than obediently do what God demanded. Think about that for just a moment. He said, throw me overboard. It's all my fault. Throw me overboard. He's not putting his hands into God's hands, or he's not putting his life into God's hands. He's putting his life into their hands to some extent. You just throw me over, you'll be fine. But what we have to consider that Jonah had accepted the gravity and the seriousness of his sin, yes, while also being willing to accept the responsibility for endangering the sailors' lives and all on, the, on board the ship. But should we regard Jonah? Listen, should we regard Jonah in the same classification as, as, as people like Moses and Esther and, and even the apostle Paul? Those who were willing to give their lives to God in order to rescue others? Do we put him in that same category? You know, there's some commentators who have. They say, well, you know, when you look at Jonah here, throw me overboard, you know, he's, he's kind of taking, he's kind of becoming like a, a type of Christ, you know. where but, but, you know, you, you have to compare something here. You have to compare and contrast the hard the attitude of Jonah here. That was not Jesus' attitude. My question is, was Jonah giving his life for the glory of God? And of course the answer is no. For the answer, I want you to consider something, Exodus 32. Exodus 32 verses 30 through 35, up to this point, Moses is with the Lord up in in Mount Sinai, the people are getting uh, antsy, They're, they're, they're getting impatient. They, they, they haven't heard from Moses and Moses is up there, you know, just, you know, in the glory of God, you know, and and, and, and spending that, that wondrous uh, time of, of, of fellowship and communion with God. But the people are so antsy and, and impatient that they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Hey, you, make us some graven images for us to worship. As far as we know, Moses is already dead. He is not coming back. So we understand then where we're at here at this point where Moses finally comes down and Aaron has already made these golden calves. And by the way, when you read the text in Exodus 32, you realize it wasn't just one, though, you know, if you saw the movie with Charlton Heston, you know, there's only one, but it actually talks about more than one. And as Moses comes down, the people are, are partying and laughing and singing and, and then they're not even dressed. And we know what Moses does. passage I want you to look at is what happens the day after. For it says in verse 30, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and he said, and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Notice, gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and please notice this, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. All you see is the heart of this intercessor, named Moses. If you won't forgive their sin, then take my, take my life. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And therefore now go, lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf. Which Aaron made. The whole point was to look at the heart of Moses and what he was willing to sacrifice, his own life for those people. Then turn to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. As you read in in a book that never once mentions the name or the person of God, yet he exudes his presence in this book on behalf of his people who are in exile. A person was introduced back the previous chapters, a man named Haman or Haman, a man who is a forerunner to Adolf Hitler and others of his ilk, a man who can actually be a forerunner of Antichrist as well, a hater of the Jews, deep hatred with a desire to wipe them all out. He uses a a situation where Mordecai, the relative of Esther, Esther being one of the wives, as it were, of of Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, There is reminded by Mordecai of the plot and told of the, of, of the plot, I should say, that, that Haman had presented to, to Ahasuerus that the Jews should all be wiped out, pointed out, of course, that some of them, like Mordecai, would not bow down to the, to the king himself. So that message then is brought to Esther. In beginning in verse 13 of Esther chapter 4, it says, And Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. In other words, deliverance will come from some place else. If you don't rise up, you being so close to the king, being in his harem, as it were, deliverance will come. The word in the Hebrew is actually the respiration. The respiration and deliverance will come from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? A very important phrase. One of the most important phrases found. We'll read the other one in just a moment. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. There, is a, there was only a certain way and a certain time to go in and have an audience with the king. Even Esther, who was one of his wives or concubines, as it were, even she could not just come in to see him. And it wasn't obviously the time for her to be able to do this. That's why it says, which is not according to the law. But notice what she says, and if I perish, I perish. That's what she was ready to do, was to give her life for her people. For it wasn't known that she herself was Jewish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. The point here, again... Though God is not mentioned in this book, the providence of God is. And she would give her life for the safety of her people. Lastly, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Paul the apostle, in chapters 9 through 11 of the book of Romans, is speaking about his own people, Israel. And how God wants to save Israel. In fact, what he says in verses 1 through 3, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience. Also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So that they themselves, you see, would come to know Christ. I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. He would give himself to whatever punishment for the sake of his kinsmen, the Jewish people. That is the kind of heart we're dealing with. But not seeing in the person of Jonah. Up to this point. But now if Jonah is to be commended for anything, it would be for telling the truth, but not for taking his life in his own hands, for that is what he was doing. He was taking his life into his own hands. He could be commended for his confidence in the Lord. Yes, he had confidence in the Lord, since he knew God would calm the storm once he was removed from the ship. And then he was fully convinced that the Lord would save the sailors and all on board as soon as God claimed his life. Well, that's a certain confidence that he had in the Lord. He knew he deserved death. But consider that quite possibly in his thinking, just consider if you will, that quite possibly in his thinking he had doomed the Ninevites to death and eternal separation from God. Well, I deserve death. And if I get death, so will the Ninevites, because I'm not telling them to repent. (laughs) Did you see the picture here? And so he offered to die because selfishly he would rather die than obey the will of God wow in other words he accepted what he presumed would be his fate death but as Charles Spurgeon once said that God never allows his children to sin successfully Jonah would prove that truth and the truth of that statement Which brings to mind the verse that is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. a passage, verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. Where Paul says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That doesn't sound real comfortable. Doesn't even sound like, you know, well, that's something I really, you know, would like to go through someday. Just to kind of be put a little bit more into my place here in life. (laughs) That's strong language that Paul was using. But he was driving home a point. The Lord loves those that he chastens. The whole intent behind the storm, behind the tempest, was to bring him to that place where he would cry out to God. But you see, his prayer life was already kind of demolished there for a time. And he just said, okay, I accept death, but hey, death has its consequences with others too. But he had this much compassion, enough to say, look, look, just throw me overboard because I'm really the one at fault here and you guys aren't. And if you do that, then the storm will stop and you'll be safe. But what God was getting ready to do was this chastening. That was about to take place. Consider that that the sailors actually did their best to save Jonah's life. I mean, look, 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 go back to verse 13 now. Back to verse 13 in Jonah chapter 1. Because notice what it says. It says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land. They're still trying to get the boat to land to help him out, they're not ready to throw him overboard. They rode as hard as they could to reach land, but they were unsuccessful. And realizing that the situation was hopeless, you know what they began to do? They began to pray to the Lord, Jonah's God, to forgive them for taking the man's life. I don't want to say that this is humorous here, but just kind of look at the text. It says in verse 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord. That is Jehovah or Yahweh. The same, you know, Y-H-W-H, the, the Tetragrammaton, the four Hebrew letters that represent the name of God. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. You've, you've done this. You've set this all up for him. But But don't lay it upon us, his innocent blood, which... Wasn't all that innocent anyway. But take note how they knew that throwing Joan overboard would make them guilty of murder. So they got that kind of hanging over them, and they and they wanted forgiveness from this awesome God who had created and controlled everything in the world. And so, seeking the Lord's forgiveness, the sailors acknowledged that the Lord had done as He willed. And did you notice that in their acknowledgement, they were confessing that the Lord was the great creator and sovereign majesty of the world, the sovereign Lord who control all the events happening in the world? Now that may be more than professing believers ever do in proclaiming the one true God as the sovereign Lord over all. I'm convinced today that there are people who are just professing from their mouth You know, that they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they've never actually said with all of their heart, we worship the one true and living God who is sovereign over all. That is what we are to do. That is who we are to proclaim. And these guys were pagans, and they did that. And so, with all that done and said, what did they do? I love this, verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea. Okay, Lord, don't, you know, don't charge us this against us. <sighs> Make you feel better? This is not a plot or a plan for us to say, "I will pray for forgiveness before I commit sin." No, don't do that, please. But they knew they had to do this. but they pleaded with Jonah's God. They took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. In an instant, the raging sea with its tumultuous waves became calm and the sailors were greatly amazed at this and were filled with even more fear. That's supposed to happen they were filled with more fear of the Lord God of Jonah. Verse 16 tells us that. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared him even more and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, the word yareh is used for the word fear here. And it is the very word that is used for the fear of the Lord in the sense of his reverence, in the sense of respect, in the the very sense of, of, of worship. Jonah did not give testimony to the God of Israel. The God of Israel gave testimony of himself. To those pagans. And think for a moment. Of the astounding change of weather. That took place right after they cast Jonah into the sea. And right before their eyes. From frightening turbulence. and Torrential rains to instant peace. And tranquility. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of, of some of those. Storms that the disciples faced these great fishermen who were uh, very well versed in how to manage a boat on a a sea whenever the winds would pick up and come on to the Sea of Galilee. And oftentimes that would happen with Jesus being on board with them. Even one time he was in the ship asleep. Not for the same reason as Jonah, but he was in a ship asleep. And they would cry to him, Lord, how could you sleep? We need you here. I mean, look, we're going to die. And how often did the Lord stand and just say, be still. And the, and the calm would just happen immediately. Interesting. But very significant. There's a phrase that comes out of some of those meetings with Jesus after an incident like this. I think you all know what the phrase is. O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. Jonah was one who was of very little faith. Toward a God who wanted to be merciful to the Ninevites. That was a tremendous struggle for him. So getting back to the to the ship that was now on a calm sea. It's, it's interesting to me that the sailors fear of the Lord is the same fear that Jonah claimed to have to have for the Lord in verse nine. You remember that he himself said the same word in Jonah one verse nine. He said unto them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. So yes, he said, I fear the Lord. I reverence the Lord. But not at that moment, did he? At that moment, he was far from the Lord. It was who he was to be. It was, it was what he was to do. And it reminds me so often of us as believers in Jesus Christ who, who at times, you know, when we find ourselves in the midst of our own indiscretions and in our, in our own sins, that we still will confess, oh, I, yeah, I, I worship the Lord. But not with those actions. Not with those thoughts, not with those sins, not in the midst of those, uh, of those iniquities. It was, a, in a sense, you'd have to say it was a lame attempt of giving testimony to God. Uh, I'm a Hebrew. I, I, I fear the Lord, uh, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Uh, you see the revealing of the heart here? It's not what we say, but what we do, and who we trust, and how we live, and how we exude the character of Christ. As I said, the word Yarev speaks of a trusting and worshipful fear, a reverential fear, which might suggest that these sailors became converts to the God of Israel. You see a storm as strong as that and know that it was, a, it was this one God that did it. If he's in control of all these things, which their little wooden idols would never have been able to do, you turn really quick to the God of Israel. And if they did, I want you to consider these statements in Psalm 103. Turn there, Psalm 103, and look at these statements about those who fear the Lord. Those who truly fear the Lord. In Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Yareh. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The Lord has great compassion upon those who fear him, who reverence him, who worship him, who bow before him, who surrender to him, who obey him. In that fear. Jump down to verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. It is something that will continue on as we live in the fear of the Lord. And remember, when you read some of the Psalms and the, and the Proverbs that speak greatly about the fear of the Lord, it tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. We begin to understand the God of mercies, the God of grace, the God of love, the God of peace. Now, a small but puzzling question can be asked about the sailors that feared the Lord. Now, how could they offer a sacrifice to the Lord if most, if not all, the cargo was tossed overboard or or lost in a storm? Remember what it says there in verse sixteen: the men feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Well, let's see. How could they offer a sacrifice to the Lord if most, if not all, the cargo was tossed overboard or lost in the storm? Well, it could have been a small animal that was on board for sacrifice purposes. And how it was offered may have been as simple as offering the animal to the Lord and vowing to sacrifice it to him as soon as they were safe on shore. So, you know, that that kind of answers the question pretty quickly. I think we do that as well. You know, I I want to offer something to the Lord, but I, I want to offer it when I get to a place where I can do that, you know. Or this is something I want to take, but I don't want anybody to know about it. I mean, it's, it's between me and the Lord, and you find a time that you do that. You know, we necessarily don't live by, by vows in that particular sense, but it's important that if we make a vow to the Lord that we, that we keep it. So that's possibly what they did. But the most important issue was Jonah's rebellion against God's will. That's, that's really the most important issue here. It is Jonah's rebellion against God's will. It did in fact invite the chastening hand of God. A 17th century English preacher once said this, he said, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. And in more modern contemporary thought, that just means that we are to be happy or joyful in and with God's will for our lives. As I stated at the onset of our study. And I wanted to say it then so that when we get here, we realize where we've been in this storm. We're to be happy. We're to be joyful in and with God's will for our lives. Now, you don't have to turn there because I think most of you know this, but if you are to read the, the very first psalm that's found in, in, in the book of Psalms, that's pretty much what it says it won't be here behind me but it says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seats of the scornful but his delight his delight what, what is that his delight his joy his, his happiness in fact the word blessed itself means happy is the man Blessed is the man that, that, that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He delights in it. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit. And in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which, are, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment or sit, sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's a delight that we are to have in the things of God. Delight in his word, delight in his law, delight in his commandments, delight in his His. Precepts, and we glorify God by enjoying His will and doing it from our hearts. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 8, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. Notice this, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. We all may have bosses, as it were, masters, we don't call them that, but managers, you know, you could name all kinds of people that are over you in some way. No matter where it is that a believer goes or where a believer lives or where a believer works, this is instruction for all of us. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling of them? No, fear and trembling of the Lord. In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service. In other words, doing things to be seen as men pleasers. But as the servants of Christ, notice this, doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. It's been just such a joy to, you know, to have people that call or write or text or whatever and just say, you know, would you pray for me? I had a problem at work, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with, with, you know, the way that they're telling me to do things. And, they're, you know, they just kind of constantly badger in my life, you know, whatever. And, and, and just to encourage them with, some, with this passage here. Do the will of God from your heart. What is the will of God that you be a good servant? If you miss out on doing that, you're just hurting yourself. He goes on and he says, with goodwill doing services to the Lord and not to men. Now that doesn't mean you don't do it for the men, but you do it because you're doing it for the Lord first. You do the will of God from the heart with goodwill uh, doing the services to the Lord. Lord, I'm doing this for you. Because I want to give you the glory and I want people to be able to see the witness and the testimony that you're my God. That's why as believers in Jesus Christ, if we work in the secular world, that we need to be that kind of light, that kind of witness to people. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doth or doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whatever good thing you do, the same shall he receive from the Lord. God will bless you, in other words. Now Jonah himself could have stated the very sentiment of the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 18. He could have actually said this, the Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Jonah may not have been a good swimmer and I can tell you something about Jewish people that don't really like the water all that much <laughs> isn't it something you know that when Moses got to the Red Sea and they parted the Red Sea why did the Lord over there they didn't want to swim they just he wanted them to walk through he was in the water probably didn't like it Probably didn't know what to do with it. So God provided transportation. Great fish. We'll talk about that actually next week. Because the Lord would now prepare a great fish to swallow Jonah and protect his life for three days and three nights. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And just for your information, chapter 1, verse 17, that last verse is actually chapter 2, verse 1 in the Hebrew text. So in the Hebrew Bible, it's it's actually uh, chapter 2, verse 1. So that's why we'll begin here next time. But before we close out our study for this evening, let's consider a couple more things that pertain to rebelling against the call and commission of God. Because it is a very serious thing to the Lord for sure. It is serious to the Lord. Much is said about obedience in the book of Deuteronomy, but here is one anchor passage. Please listen. Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 to 28 says this. Behold, I said before you this day, a blessing and a curse. A blessing. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse... If you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day, to go after other gods which you have not known. Now, to be fair, you might say, Well, you know, Jonah didn't go to worship other gods. No, he didn't. But what did he do? For a moment of time, he became his own god. He said, I don't wanna do your will, I wanna do mine. And I'm gonna run away. That's like becoming a God. And God always has to remind us, hey, I'm the only God there is. But now you're worshiping yourself. You're bowing to your will. You're bowing to your desires. you belong to me. Lastly, when the children of Israel wanted a king like all the other nations around them, the Lord gave them a king, Saul. But it's interesting that he also gave them a prophet, Samuel. And listen in 1 Samuel 12 verses 13-15 and I'll close with this. It says, Now therefore behold the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And behold the Lord has set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord But rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. Well, we know what happened with King Saul. He was a head taller than everybody else, but that's not a good reason to choose someone to be king. I'll close with Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which only comes to us through God and his only begotten Son Jesus Christ. So a little bit of uh, an investigation into the heart and into the life of Jonah as we prepare to enter into the belly of a great fish. Maybe I will bring the tails. No, no. We, I, will, I will resist that. We'll get into this next time.